Now I found a sheep this morning, but I've got a problem. Jesus told a story about a woman who'd lost, who'd lost a coin and went around looking for it, uh, but I've lost some chocolates. <laughs> now the kids aren't here anymore. I did say to Pete he would get his chance later. So there are plenty of chocolates. Must be. They must be around here somewhere. In here, anywhere between the front door and here, I guess. Would you like to look for them? Um, it would be really helpful if we could find those chocolates. Um, I don't know where they went. <laughs> Hey. Oh, no. Actually, if you're good enough to find one for me, you can eat it. If you're good enough to find two, give, somebody t- give some one to some elderly person who would like to look but hasn't got the legs. <laughs> well, have you found a chocolate? Who found a chocolate? Hey. Well, Pete is very warm. Pete, you're so warm, unless they've all been found. Oh, there was one on a notice board, that's gone. So, who didn't have a chocolate? Who would like a chocolate? There we are. Pete and someone. Would you like to... uh, Everybody who would like a chocolate, you are welcome. There we are. Let me uh, have one myself. I'll have one of those, please. Are you happy you found a chocolate? How happy are you? Would you like to show me how happy you are? No. Rejoice with me, I found me chocolate. Free. Jesus told three parables, excuse me while I munch. (laughs) Jesus told three parables, one after the other. There was a lost sheep. And in a parable, the lost sheep was discovered and carried home triumphantly. And there was a great celebration. He told the story of a lady who'd lost a valuable coin and she searched the house all over getting the dust out from under the seats, making herself all dusty and dirty, getting it in her hair so she'd have to do her hair again, until she found the lost coin. And then she called in her friends and said, I found the lost coin. Come and celebrate with me. And on both occasions, Jesus said something like this. Just as they celebrated, there's more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 who don't need to. And then he told a story of a son. A bad son, as it happened. Now, I'm going to tell you this story too. But just as in the story of the Good Samaritan, there are bits which Jesus didn't say because it wasn't necessary. Like, for instance, it wasn't necessary for Jesus to tell his audience that the Samaritans were hated by the Jews. Everybody knew that. 
we need to be told that because we might not have known that but when Jesus was telling the story of the Good Samaritan everybody knew that Samaritans were scum so he didn't have to say it I'm going to pop a few things into this story that everybody at the time knew and it wasn't necessary for him to say them There was a man who had two sons and the younger son came to him and said Dad, I'd like you to um, divide um, our portions between me and, my, and your older son I'd like my portion now please Now of course you know the portion isn't normally divided until the father dies The child is in effect saying I, I'm fed up with living home, I wish you were dead I want what belongs to me as a younger son he got a third of the property the older son had two thirds he received his property and a few days later he went off into a foreign land but the property was just that, property there probably wasn't a lot of money in the bank it was in land in fields maybe in sheep how has he, what's he done with his property to enable him now to go off into a far land and to waste it Jesus actually said he wasted his property in this foreign land. Does that mean that he sold the, sold the deeds to, to Gentiles, more scum? Or does it mean that he just did a quick sale, as quickly as he could, before he left, and he sold off the family lands? No longer in the family, he's got the cash in hand. Whatever, this lad is now considered he's considered scum by the local village and his father's expected to disown him they all knew what the proverb said about the son who is disobedient and so this young man has gone off into a foreign land but he knows what he's in for if he ever goes back home he would be treated miserably he would be cast out he won't be allowed back into the family home he's wished his dad was dead he's gone and lived amongst the Gentiles he's wasting his resources how? the older brother thinks he's using it on prostitutes Jesus didn't say that he just said he went into a far country and he wasted his property on easy living and then you know there came this, this famine and he didn't have any money left and surprise, surprise, he didn't have any friends either. Even after spending all this money and lavishing it on the beauty and, the, and the whatever was around, he had no friends. So he did get a job, but he got a job from a Gentile working with pigs, unclean animals to the Jews, unworthy animals Jesus could say to, a, to demons yes, feel free to go into the swine and allow the swine to run over a cliff unclean and because nobody would give him anything this once rich, once proud, boastful arrogant young man who's now lost to his family and uh, dead as far as his community is concerned now he would so gladly feed upon the pods which are given to the swine 
Poor Emily, perhaps some of them have been castrated. (laughs) But he knelt in his misery in this foreign land and we're told he came to himself. Look, back home, even my servants have got enough to eat and I'm languishing here. I've really messed up here. I would go back and I would say, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son because nobody would call him his son anymore anyway. No longer worthy to be called your son. Make me, I beg you, as one of your hired servants. It's most unlikely that his father would take him on in the house, but he might take him on and send him out and sort of hire him out to others. And so he made his journey back. And you know what happened, the father was looking out and the father saw him and the father rushed out and ran to meet him but the father was wearing a robe and to run up the road to meet his son he had to lift up his robe up to his knees and that was so dishonouring for an elderly man because the elderly were respected, they were the ones who looked up and here he is humiliating himself before the whole village, running with his skirt up around his knees to catch this son who is dead and who is lost, who is already being, being laughed at and mocked by the kids of the village. And the father runs up to him and scatters the kids and puts his arm around his son and embraces him and kisses him in front of the whole community that is looking out through its windows. That renegade, that that filth has come back and look what the father's done he is humiliating himself he's embracing him he's kissing him he's welcoming him back there's cost to the father in this you know and he shouts to the servant servant bring the best robe bring a robe and put it on him Do you remember in the story of Esther when the king said to Haman what should the king do for the the man he delights in? And Haman said first of all oh, let him clothe him in one of the king's own robes. This father said to the servants bring the best robe and put it round him. I honour this young man who has just said to me, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. This lost one is found again. And bring a turban to put on his head. We're going to give him honour tonight. Before the village this is going on. And put a ring on his finger, probably a signet ring, so that it's known that he's back in the family. He has no property, but he has our authority. And put shoes on his feet. He's not a servant to go around barefooted. Now, kill the fatted calf. We are going to celebrate. Now, the celebration was a public celebration. The elders of the village would have been invited along. They would have been seated around the table with the father. The whole village would understand that this young man has been welcomed back into the family and now is being invited back into the community. The whole, the elders, the village through the elders are now sitting around the table 
celebrating this return and affirming the Father's action. But one third of the parable is devoted to the older son. That's a lot, isn't it? One third of it, eight verses, is devoted to the older son. Who coming home from the fields where he's probably been working but by directing his servants, he hears the sounds of music and celebration. And he calls on the servants and he said, my father's celebrating, what's going on? And they said, well your son who has lost his found, he said, your son, your, your brother is back, sorry, your brother is back. And they're celebrating. Well, it was his duty as the older son now to go into the celebration, even if he had other things to do, to go in and acknowledge the elders who were sitting around the table, even if he now has to leave, but he refuses. My brother is back, that scum, I'm not going in there, your wild elephants won't drag me in there. So the father has to leave the feast. Another humiliation. And he comes out to the son outside and he says, son, please come in. And his older son says, these many years I've worked for you, I've laboured for you, I've never done anything to go against you, you've never once so much as even killed a goat for me, after all my loyalty and faithfulness. And now this wretch comes back and you kill the fatted calf for him and have a meal for him. Do you think I'm going in there? No way! But he was lost, son. He's found. He was dead, for goodness sake. He's alive again. We cannot but celebrate. And the story finishes. And now who's out of sorts with his father? Now if we understand the father to be an image of God, now who's out of sorts with the father? But Jesus told this with a purpose. And the purpose was, we find it at the beginning of that chapter, that Jesus was surrounded by sinners and tax collectors, hoi polloi. The sort of people that the religious folk wouldn't have anything to do with. Tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to hear Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Now there's going to be a mini induction in there, a low-key thing after lunch or during lunch or however we do it. And you're going to be receiving me. You're receiving a sinner, you know. And you're going to sit down and eat with him. Because the guy that you have invited was an absolute cad and a swine before Jesus got hold of him. And even the way he dressed, you would have wanted to turn up your nose if he walked in here on a Sunday. 
And even as a Christian, even as a minister, he's fallen back so much at times. Well, the Pharisees grumbled, you know, that Jesus ate and drank with sinners. Communion, welcome. So, I've got a couple of points to make. And then I want to take the story beyond what the writer intended. Just a little. In each of these three stories there's celebration. The Pharisees were grumbling, moaning, groaning, because Jesus was dealing with these people. But in each parable there's celebration. There's celebration of the sheep being found. There's celebration of the coin being found. There's celebration of the son who was dead being found. Now if they celebrate over a sheep and they celebrate over a coin and you celebrate over a chocolate, how much more should there be celebration over those who, who, who knew nothing of the love of God actually discovering it? Whatever their background, however they're drawn in, coming to hear Jesus and saying, I want to hear Jesus because Jesus represents God who welcomes me. Oh, that's celebration. But the people that were gathering around Jesus were the pub guys from the little round pub up the road or from the betting shop. What would you think if they walked in here on a Sunday morning with their children who didn't know how to sit still and their packets of crisps and kids walked in to watch it one morning they sat down in the back of the why they walked in goodness knows but they sat down in the back row and then one of them disappeared and he was gone for about five minutes and then he came back with two cans of coke and they popped them in the back seats and drank them how would you feel if a bunch of people came in there and they laughed at all the wrong places because they didn't understand the language and they talked to one another during the sermon and they scuffled but they were here because they wanted to find out something about Jesus. How would you feel that all your nice order muddled up and crisp packets on the floor at the end? Perhaps there will be anyway. <laughs> Perhaps there will be chocolate papers on the floor at the end. How ready are you to celebrate when the least and the lowest or the highest and the mightiest humbles themselves and finds the love of God so celebration but I want you to notice who is celebrating who is recommending celebration it's Jesus isn't it now that there are so many things we understand about the Lord Jesus I mean, we were singing that hymn, and that's an, that was an awesome hymn, but even while the words were going on, I was standing there saying, Lord, do you know, there's something about this solid flesh which can't easily take in all the grandness and truth of what we're singing. In the silence it touched me. The silence at the end. Something of that touched me. There's so much we know about Jesus. But among the things we 
blandly say, because they're part of our creed, we say in a way that forgets to take on board the significance of what they mean. One of the things we understand is that when Christ died, extraordinarily, he died without sin. In terms of human holiness, there has been none other like him. Perfectly in every way, absorbing the Father's will and turn it into living action and word. Christ is the one who's eating and drinking with these people. And we say, but how can we maintain our Christian, how can we maintain our Christian pose if we're mixing with people like that? Or going to clubs or football matches with them? Or doing whatever they ask us to? How we can keep ourselves spotless? By walking in Jesus. Jesus managed it. And he celebrated. Lord, make us like you. Who isn't celebrating? Hmm. The older son. There's more than a touch of self-righteousness in it, isn't there? In Romans chapter 10, Paul, with tears in his eyes, talks about his own people, the, the unbelievers amongst the Jews, how they have a zeal for God, but, it's, but they know nothing of the righteousness of God and, and live by a righteousness of their own. This son seems to have been full of what he had done. How hard he'd worked. How loyal he'd been. How he'd kept to all the rules and regulations. I haven't done anything to deserve the insult of my son being preferred like this. My, bro my brother, sorry, being preferred like this. Self-righteousness. So full of himself he couldn't see that the dead had come alive failed to see that the lost was actually recovered trusting in his faithful service legalistic maybe it's not the only reason people may not celebrate of course some people may not celebrate because their past experience has been they've hurt been hurt on occasions like this there's fear well, there's insecurity with the culture of a bunch of people who have had nothing to do with Jesus and we don't understand how they think or work. We feel insecure and can't easily celebrate. Might be a traditionalist or just narrow-minded not to celebrate. Where do you stand in this? And where do I? Only God can search your heart and mind and tell you this. But this is the point where briefly I want to go beyond the parable. You see, I'm doing a module, an open university module at the moment in creative writing, writing stories. And one of the things they're banging on about at the moment is that you have to take notice of mood in a story and develop character. But the setting 
is very important. And the setting of what happens here is that Jesus is out in the open. We're told at the end of the previous uh, at the end of the previous chapter great crowds accompanied him and he turned and said to them if any man comes to me he's got to count the cost whoever doesn't bear his own cross and come after me can't be my disciple he's out in the open air and great crowds are coming to him that is the setting for these stories and the scribes and the Pharisees have come out to assess him and to judge him presumably now Jesus went to the synagogue it was his custom the scripture tells us it was his custom but it also tells us that he got roundly told off in one or two of them and even kicked out of the one at Nazareth Jesus went to the temple and didn't dishonour it he honoured it by turning over the tables and driving out the moneylenders he went to the temple and didn't like what he found there the systematic egotistical wealth making religion of his day but he spent Monday Sunday to Friday because Sabbath was his Sabbath Saturday was his Sabbath he spent Sunday to Friday out there somewhere and you do that don't you you're in the places that Jesus went to for uh, six sevenths of his week is that amazing that's the setting where people might want to come and hear Jesus perhaps through your example so you want to be a church without walls now I say we want to be Jesus went outside the walls now can you imagine the Pharisees or the older son actually being too keen to leave the formality of the synagogue but if Jesus is working out there as well what sort of church would form around Jesus out there would he look like us I mean let's ask a question why did you come here there's no guilt trip here there's just integrity why did you come here did you come here because you like the worship so you made us a choice of style did you come here because you found yourself sitting amongst a bunch of people who were just like you and you feel comfortable that's okay there's nothing wrong with that did you come here for some other reason because you could hide or just fit in do you come here because the style of building or whatever now then a church without walls moves away from its church focus and follows Jesus where he goes to see what kind of church forms around him 
now that can be where you work that can be in your street hallelujah do you realise that? do you realise there's not just Pete or or um, preschool workers who are full time for Jesus you're a full time worker for Jesus isn't that awesome? in your school in your college in your work in the associations you belong to I wonder what kind of church will form round Jesus there well how about this a settled church we're comfortable here but people don't come here do they so we actually need to be like treasure hunters where people are <laughs> and that's not comfortable because we're going to lose our shape we're going to be affected in some of our feelings of stability we're going to feel wobbly and dizzy and not quite sure what we're in for because the people are out there are you here because to exercise your faith in this body and we are a body to exercise your faith in this body is your security well Jesus should be our security he's the rock on which we stand he is the anchor by which we're tethered to our father in heaven he is the way he is our truth he is our life he is our righteousness he is our hope he is our shepherd he is our saviour he is our God in the flesh he is dead but he is risen he is with us our security is in him so if our security has somehow another latched on to here and us and the formality and the usualness of this that we're doing today we need to look for the courage to break out of our old routines so that our faith which is in Christ not this will take risks for him because we see him where he's going and we recognise what he's doing and as he did only those things which he saw the father doing we are going to take the risks of faith to do them with him are we ready for that and it might be in your office tomorrow it might be in your while students around you are pouring out their coffee tomorrow you'll suddenly sense Lord you're here you're here I find that exciting so what do you do with it well then you bring it back here 
You bring your stories, you bring your excited, your excitement, you bring your celebrations, you ask for our prayers, you talk about the struggles that you're facing in your situation, we talk together about the realities of being Christ's people out there, and you bring in to what we do here so that our worship becomes real. Not that today wasn't brilliant, but so that our worship becomes grounded in your daily life which God has given you, where you find God, which he is redeeming through Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Are you up for it? Because if you're up for it, you'll have an invitation today. you have an invitation as the people of God, through the Holy Spirit, I trust, to go where people are, rather than waiting for the people to come. You are invited to step out and see Jesus out there and follow him and do what he's doing. You are invited to be amazed at the church out there which forms around him, which is so different from the church in here, but still part of the body of Christ. You are invited to take the risks of faith. Together, we are invited to free people to love and to be loved by Jesus, not counting the cost. Okay, let's go for it, step by step.